1: Get ahead of postage rate increases this year with Stamps.com. It's like your own personal post office. Sign up with promo code PROGRAM for a four-week trial plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com code PROGRAM. Please stay the course, we are dead! We are all dead! We were supposed to make the world... A better place what i'm as bad
2: as hell and i'm not gonna
3: take this anymore i know
1: kung fu you either die a hero
2: or you live long enough to see yourself become a villain i'm as
1: bad as hell and i'm not gonna take this anymore this whole thing is insane this whole
2: thing is insane 300 years ago you'd have been burned at the stake what do all the men in the power want more power.
0: This is now the United States of Zombie Land. This whole thing is insane. Man is even capable of nothing but destruction
2: Everybody is stuck with
0: the things that they're
2: not proud of.
4: More power. Welcome to the desert
2: of the real. More power. There can be only one. Are you a God-fearing man, Senator? It's such a strange phrase. I've always thought of God as a teacher, as a bringer of light, wisdom, and understanding. You see, I think
3: what you really are afraid of is me. Happy Heresies and welcome to the desert of the real. Heresy shouldn't be this much fun, but it is, yes, you know the drill, it just is. Especially with the latest AB Live. Audio version for The In This Eternal Now in Red Pill Cafeteria. The nightmare ended as Paul Levy arrived at the virtual Alexandria. He discussed his new book, Undreaming Wetiko, a final nail in the coffin of the Argon mind Parasites. Find solutions for cosmic liberation in the dreamy ideas of C.G. Jung, Rudolf Steiner, Shamanism, Gnostic Gospels, and more. Beyond our transformation, can society at large rid itself of the collective hold of Castaneda's predator? This show is where we find out, or at least wake up. And let me remind you of a special announcement. Online tickets to stream Astronosis are available. Ready to meet and also defeat the Archons from the comfort of your device? Experience over 15 hours of immersive, exclusive and premium scholarship and spiritually helpful content on the Demiurge and his Archons. Just as engaging, understand and overcome the nature of evil and suffering from a Gnostic-slash-Hermetic worldview. As the only conference on Gnosticism, you won't find this information anywhere else or from better experts in the field. Meet the Archons will be streamed from The Theosophical Society Wheaton, Illinois, on June 23rd and 24th. The Theosophical Society's professional AV team is in charge, so expect no glitches and an immersive experience. Tickets include live event access remotely on any device, ability to participate and ask questions to speakers via the chat function, replay available afterward to listen at your convenience. Watch and interact with April DeConick, Mitch Horowitz, Richard Smoley, Chris Knowles, Stephen Snyder, Sarah Elkali, James True, and yours truly. And that includes our panel discussion. Check out the show notes or go to thegodabovegod.com for more information. Other than that, let us do our interview with Paul Levy. Write your own gospel, Live your own myth.
2: Do you know what love is? A chemical. Electrons. In your brain, sending signals. Are you familiar with Ophiocordyceps unilateralis? It's a fungus that infects ants. It's amazing, really. The spores take over their central nervous systems and force them to climb to a high point, and then the fungus begins to grow up, bursting from the tops of their heads, like a branch. And it kills them, of course. Also, it can spray new spores over the jungle, infecting more ants. When people say love, that's what I think of.
1: Uh, simple. I haven't seen it was all I...
2: Tell me, what is the point of all this love? All the... Striving. The friendships. I mean, what is the point of babies? You mean life? Yes. Life. What is the point of life? All of you running around, trying to what? Be happy? Fulfilled? You tell me... I'll say this, there's only one being in the vast multiplicity of space that matters, God. And do you know why God matters? Power. That is the point of what you call life. The only point, power.
3: Welcome, everybody, to A.M. Byte. Welcome to A.B. Live specifically. My name is Miguel Connor, and I am still your of hypnosis. Welcome, everybody, who's already here in the chat and anybody who is listening in as we speak. Very excited today to be joined again by Paul Levy to discuss his book, Undreaming Wetiko, Breaking the Spell of the Nightmare Mind Virus. Excellent book that I think you should definitely read it as part of his continuing journey with Wetiko. Paul, thank you very much for coming on the show again.
1: Yeah, I'm so happy to be here with you, Miguel. Thank you so much.
3: Pleasure is all ours. And with us, too, we've got the Moondog Vans Vans, how are you doing?
4: I'm just fine. I'm always up for a fight against the mind virus, so waiting to have at it.
3: Yeah, that's definitely been a theme of this show. And yes, for the audience, I see you in the chat room already streaming or streaming. Yeah, definitely streaming and running in there. As always, if you have any questions, we will try to get to them. Please super chat them so we can see them from the crowd. And uh, yeah, let us know what you think. So, Paul, well. Let's talk about this book, uh, as you say, uh Wetiko is a dreaming phenomenon which might surprise some people, and you also say it's the most important or the greatest evil import yeah the greatest evil we are facing today. Tell us why Whitiko is dream now, yeah, no,
1: for sure, well. What I mean is that, so what Witico is, it's a mind virus. It's a collective psychosis that we're in the middle of. I mean, I don't think there's any debate about that, <laughs> that our species has fallen into this collective psychosis. And I'm pointing out, you know, well, I can approach it from a number of different angles, but basically this, this, this experience we're all sharing on planet Earth is, is a shared collective dream. And that's not, I'm not just saying that as a theory. I began having this realization like 40 plus years ago, and I'm still deepening that understanding. But that being the deeper context, what I'm pointing out is that the collective insanity, you know, this, this mind virus that, that we're in the middle of that we are actually conjuring up is a dreamed up phenomena that all of us are, are co-dreaming this insanity to, to materialize and play out in and as and through our lives or, you know, as as the very universe itself, as it's manifesting in this way where we're destroying ourselves. We are unconsciously, you know, maybe some people consciously are participating, or we're colluding, we're enacting our own collective suicide. And that that there's no doubt about. And, and I'm pointing out that, uh, you know, when people hear this mind virus, it sounds really woo-woo or new agey. But in essence, what I'm pointing out is that What I mean by a mind virus is that the origin of the collective madness and the solution is to be found within the human psyche. And that's a no brainer. I mean, where else could our madness be found? And I'm pointing out that encoded in the madness, in the collective acting out as we're we're killing ourselves um, and each other and the biosphere, the life support system of the planet that encoded holographically hidden within are acting out this insanity is the solution that it's actually revealing something to us, that this mind virus is a revelation, but it's a revelation, not from on high, not through the light, like it was 2000 years ago in one person. But this, this, this um, revelation is coming up through the underworld, through the darkness. And, um, And that there's something that's being shown to us that's most important for us to know. But if we don't recognize what's being shown to us through the collective acting out of our insanity, then we're doomed to just compulsively and unconsciously just continue to enact our own self-destruction, you know?
3: Mm, Yeah, well said. Uh, Yeah, we had you on, I think it was early 2022. and i think things in a way are, have just gotten worse uh, the human psyche is fragmented i know obviously people say and it's statistically true you know there's less poverty uh, natural disasters are causing less effect people are living longer people are richer these are facts unfortunately the facts is that suicide mental illness addiction depression are just shooting up and you see it today everybody seems to be projecting their shadow everything seems to be fragmenting. And I think of that uh, interview where they had with Jung when he was talking about uh, nature is no longer the danger. It's the psyche. It's the psyche that creates nuclear bombs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We don't know. We don't know ourselves. So we are creating a very dangerous collective psyche. I think we're there, right, Paul?
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, going back to Jung, he said a couple of other really, I mean, so yeah, he was pointing out like you just shared, that the real, the greatest danger that faces humanity is, you know, collective psychosis and that we hang by the thinnest of thread and that thread is the human psyche. He also says something, a couple things really interesting. He talks about the sickness of our time and he says it's a sickness of disassociation. And he actually describes that as the left hand doesn't know what the right hand is doing and um, but he also points out that with this extreme disassociation, think about the polarization in our world, that it's actually a time of pregnancy, that something potentially is being given birth through that disassociation if we're able to navigate through it. But if not, you know, like I'm saying, then we're doomed to destroy ourselves. He also says the real problem, the problem of our times is that we don't understand what's happening in our world. And he clarifies by saying what's happening in our world is we are encountering, we're confronting face to face the darkness of the soul, the darkness of the unconscious. And, um, but because we don't, we don't realize that the darkness that's playing out on, in our world is reflecting a, this parallel darkness within our soul, within our psyche, within our unconscious then we keep the darkness out there and we try to you know kill it or avoid it or whatever and by doing that we're unwittingly feeding into this mind virus
3: yeah i think that's a good point paul uh i think one of the the ill effects of our modern society is uh we decided that death was a horrible thing. We, we want to push death away and anything that's ugly to the margins, even though the ancients and the mystics see as a natural part of life as a, you know, it's just another state of existence, like when we dream. And we also want to push evil away. And in your book, you have the example of an individual who you respected and admired. And she went out and called you like a, a dualist because you dare focus on the dark. And I, do you think that's a problem, too? We don't want to look at our shadows.
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, I hear I, this is my third book on this mind virus. And I point out it, it's a form of being blind. It's a psychic blindness. and But it's a peculiar form of blindness that doesn't know it's blind, but actually thinks it's sighted and thinks it's more sighted than people who actually see. And um, And, you know, in the Bible, they continually talk about this mind blindness or this that people have eyes but don't see or a closed heart that's related to the mind blindness. And, um, yeah, it's that turning away. It's becoming an ostrich and turning a blind eye. That is what he go, that is the mind virus in action. Because when you think about that, what is that an expression of? And it's an expression of that we're avoiding being in relationship to a part of ourselves, you know, part of ourselves. And, you know, so on one hand, just to make it very, very simple. Um, you know, I mean, I think of Jung again, he goes, the whole future of humanity depends on the recognition and the integration of the shadow. But, you know, that's such a cliche, oh, I'm working on my shadow. <laughs> but the shadow, you know, it has multiple aspects. On the one hand, there's the personal aspect, my own stuff, you know, that I've repressed or I'm not dealing with. But then there's the archetypal shadow. And the archetypal shadow, that's the realm of archetypal evil, of radical evil. And keep in mind, just to create context for what gives me the authority to talk and to write books about this, is that I had my own, you know, unmediated direct encounter with evil, not just personal evil, but archetypal evil. And, it, you know, it almost totally drove me insane. Um, I mean, some people think that it did, you know, which I'm fine with, but... It also, it just totally destroyed my entire family. It was like a pathogen got into the Petri dish of my family and just consumed my entire family. So I haven't had a family for over 20 years. I mean, but I'm all good. I have a huge soul family and friend group and stuff. But um, the idea being that what Jung was also saying, um, a couple things was he was emphasizing the reality of evil, the reality of psychological evil. He wasn't talking as a metaphysician or, or a theologian, theologian, he was talking about that there's evil, there's something in the psyche that inspires us to enact self-destructive behavior, whether it's addiction or act out destructively towards other people in the world or collectively enact wars. And he called this, this is this, this morbid, was the word he used, part of the personality that has a will to be ill. That's another phrase of his that was invested in um, just keeping us sick. So the closer we get to the, and I've experienced this, the closer I've gotten to my light at the expressing who I am and all that, I noticed there seems to be some sort of contrary adversarial force that, you know, whose job it is to resist that and to try to stop that at all costs but i've learned instead of that seeing that as seeing that as a problem i've understood oh that's that means i'm on the right path that's actually built into the fabric of the universe so what Jung was saying was that evil is like a major world power that's striding along the global stage and that this watiko he was very turned on to watiko he didn't have the name for it mm-hmm. but in my work i point out how he was like so completely Pointing at Watiko just in different ways. And he's basically saying, yeah, he's pointing out that hidden, encoded within the evil that God might have placed. And this is like, you know, pretty much a quote this special purpose that evil is teaching us something. I mean, in answer to Job, his greatest work, he actually talks about that Satan was the godfather of humanity mm-hmm. as a spiritual being. The idea being that the evil factor is helping us to wake up, is helping us to individuate. That's what I mean that encoded in the mind virus, it's actually helping us to evolve. So the final thing is that when we recognize that evil is like a player on the world stage, what it's actually pointing at is that is the profound role that the psyche plays in creating our experiences in the world. And when we have that, that's a real expansion of consciousness.
3: No, it makes sense. But, uh, when you're talking about evil, because I'm sure you're aware of Jung and Bill W.'s correspondence, where Jung talks about that there is the archetypal evil, but then there's the shadow or the archons that we can integrate. But I think he told Bill W., you know, this stuff you just got to get away from. There is no integrating evil, just like he told Roland Hazard, only a religious experience will save you, nothing on earth. But do you feel there is this archetypal here that we cannot integrate? It's just something like, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, no. like an alcoholic, I have to avoid people, places, or things at all costs. There is no negotiating with the bar, to, you know, going to the bar or toxic Right,
1: people. right, sure. Well, no, I, I definitely agree with that. I mean, I'm very aware of that letter of his correspondence with Bill W. When he says, you know, only a real spiritual conversion experience. He also talks about that if we as an individual Try to encounter evil, you know, will just get devoured. He's pointing out the profundity of community, you know, and that might because yeah, Bill W. True. was the founder of AA, and the idea of sangha in Buddhism of community of other people who can really support us, and um, that that's, that that's really important. But also in alchemy, there's a phrase called the Terra Damnata, the cursed earth, mm-hmm. and what that means in the alchemical operation there are certain elements that are so toxic and so poison, you can't invite them in to the alchemical operation or it'll corrupt the whole thing and everything will be tainted. And this is a real misunderstanding I see in the New Age movement where people will have this lucidity and they'll be like, oh, I want to embrace everything and welcome everyone. And yeah, that's a beautiful thing to be all embracing and to invite in the darkness and the demons and all that. But you also have to have discernment that there are, there is this, you know, this factor that is so evil that if you invite it in, you know, it's going to take down, it's going to just blow up the whole hermetic vessel, and then you're back at point one. So part of being all embracing, I point out, is to embrace the part of us that isn't embracing. You know, it's a, it's a really, it's a full embracing of all the parts, not just a one-sidedly, oh, I'm going to embrace everything that's too one-sided it's like what about the part of me that doesn't embrace and that needs to not embrace i want to embrace that too
3: yeah i agree and uh, going back to that lady i think one of the misconceptions people have of the gnostics is they oh, well, they're so dualistic and world haters and i'm like no they there's beauty in their writings but the gnostics and the manichaeans understood they wanted to put up the darkness and the light and put it right in front of you and say this is reality it is you know the uh, misterio tremendo, misterium fascinante. We have to lift these two forces up, understand them in Taoism, and balance them out or integrate them.
1: Well, it reminds me, you know, in my I because I wrote a book about quantum physics and I have a chapter on um sing, singularity. Mm-hmm. And I point out that people think singularity there's no that every there's it's just formless and everything's one and there's no multiplicity. And I point out like a true singularity embraces, you know, all the multiplicity, that it doesn't just negate it, you know, but it actually, like it includes it. And, and people can easily see the multiplicity and go, oh, well, that's duality and that's not, you know, a singularity or the true oneness. No, but the true oneness, in, it embraces, you know, like all of the multiplicity as, as just being aspects or ornaments or adornments
3: of the true oneness. Yeah, I agree with you, that one. So how can we see, or I like uh, how you quote Philip K. Dick, and he has that term, uh, what is the term? I have it right here. Negative hallucination, which is not yeah. that we're seeing something false, is that we don't even want to see reality. Yeah. You, what can we do to see better? I mean, people say, well, you say know thyself, that's easy to say, but what do you tell people when they really want to know themselves?
1: Yeah, and what what Philip K. Dick was pointing out with the negative hallucination was that instead of seeing what's not there, we can't see what is there. Mm -hmm. So we turned a blind eye. And, you know, in my work, I continually point out that Watiko, the mind virus, it's a form of blindness. And as long as we don't see it, then it has free reign and power to act itself out through us, through our unconscious. And, um, you know, and then we compulsively, we just offer ourselves as an instrument you know through which unknowing unbeknowing to us the mind blinder the mind blindness you know, the mind virus which is the blindness it just puppeteers us we become like a marionette on the string and we're compulsively acting it out you know and all the while we're just oblivious to it so what i what i'm continually pointing out is the profound importance of seeing how this mind blindness how this mind virus works how it operates so it's an inner disease of the soul but somehow it has a magical ability to extend itself out into the world and configure outer events in our world so as to reflect and express the inner condition of a psyche under its thrall so on the one hand part of saying this mind virus is to see how it operates you know and informs and gives shape to the outer world to express itself but concurrently it also operates covertly through informing our reactions to when we encounter the evil in the world or the unconsciousness in the world. We then react, so it's non-local. It's not just bound in the outer or the inner, but it interfaces between the two. It couples the inner and the outer. So not only does it operate through the outside world, but it operates through our unconscious blind spots, through our own mind. And what I'm pointing out is when you begin to see that, how it operates outwardly, which reflects our inner unconscious reactions, it operates through our blind spots, through our unconscious within our own minds. Then once we're able to see it, then by objectifying it in that way, the part of us that's seeing it is actually free of it. So that's a process where we more and more connect with our nature because here's the here's the way it works very very simply and in the apocryphal text of the bible they're con- they're pointing at what he call they call it a counterfeiting spirit right. and this counterfeiting spirit it puts us on it fools us but by putting us on like a suit of clothes it actually offers us, offers us this false version of ourselves young was saying the greatest danger facing humanity is to identify with what he calls a fictitious self that's the mind virus it will offer us this false, this version of ourselves, oh, you're wounded, you're traumatized, you're limited, and if we're not awake and we identify with its version of ourselves, then it has us, then it can manipulate it and control us, and think about what I just described. The thing about what, it can't steal our soul, but it tricks us into giving it away, mm-hmm. then we identify with who we're not, we forget who we actually are, our nature, and we disconnect from our creative agency because what tico has no creativity on its own but it plugs into our creative genius in a way that turns our own creative agency against us and what i'm describing is a recipe for madness and that's what tico in a nutshell and that's playing out both individually to the extent we're not awake in each one of us and then collectively that's getting enacted writ large on the world stage
3: Oh, it is indeed. Yeah. And, and when you're talking about, yeah, how it makes us blind to everything, it reminds me of Gurdjieff's Kunda buffer, that organ right. that's there to make us not see. Do you think, was this installed? Because some have said, I've had interviews with others said, yeah, at some point, we humans cannot see the whole truth. We have we, We're not allowed to see all of reality because we need to go hunting and have sex and eat and all that. So, there is something that's keeping us from this, but at some point it's no longer good, this capability. Yeah,
1: well, what, what, what Gurdjieff also says is like our species, uh, humanity has fallen into, a, I think his phrase is, a hypnotic sleep. Yeah. It's not just that we're asleep. It's that there's some sort of like it's as if there's a malevolent factor in our psyches whose job it is to try to keep us asleep and stop us from waking up, and, and that's what he and I'm I'm trying to point out that in essence, because when you start to see it, you know, that's when you start to take away its power from it and you start to empower ourselves. And um yeah, there has been, you know, it's interesting because the whole I whole idea question of where did this what he called this mind virus? Where did it start? Where? What's the origin of it? Right. And, you know, when I've talked about this in my work and whether it's, oh, is it negative ETs or a trauma that happened collectively with the human species, you know, centuries ago or whatever. And in my new book, the one that just came out a few days ago, I'm pointing out that, um, you know, in my opinion, the origin, because what Jung says is very interesting. He says evil gets transmitted over the generations so that it gets, it regenerates itself through us, you know, where, where like it's purveyors. And, um and I point out that from my point of view, and it's, I think it's the very first chapter in the book is that the origin of the Watico mind virus is unhealed generational ancestral trauma. And that cause our species is in trauma. And when any of us, when we don't deal with that and heal that and integrate that, it then, um, you know, becomes rendered in our unconscious such that we compulsively just act it out on the next of kin and then traumatize the next generation. And then that just gets passed down like a psychic inheritance until somebody, and it might as well be us, you know, is able to stop being the link in the chain and to heal and integrate their, their trauma, wounding, abuse, whatever you call it, But that that seems to be, as far as I'm concerned, the origin of this like self and other destructive, you know, um, sort of dynamic that we're continually acting out on ourselves and and on each other.
3: Yeah, I used to read those passages like in the Bible that says you will be punished for the sins of the father. And the father said, oh, this is terrible. And I'm like, oh, that makes sense. It's ancestral trauma that's being passed down. The psychic right. damage is being passed down to all of us and right. we have to deal with it. And right. uh, and of course, it's always challenging because to deal with with Tico and people don't like to hear it. We all have a different path. What works for Paul Levy might not work for Miguel Connor. What works for, you know, some people need therapy, some people shamanism, some people need to go to church. It's a, a different path for everybody, right?
1: Yeah, no, totally. Well, you know, in the same way. Oh like um you know when somebody's called to be a shaman you know which you would never consciously choose you'd have to be out of your mind you know because (laughs) the suffering is so overwhelming but you know it's always yeah yeah, so that wounded healer yeah it's always conceived of as being a calling from the spirits or the higher dimension of our being and you know typically what'll happen if you're called um it's not just like oh yeah you go to another shaman And and they just heal you. No, if you're called to be a shaman, you have to find your own one-of-a-kind, unique path to, you know, to actualize that calling and to step into that role, because it's just a role in the field of being a shaman. And I'm pointing out that we're all potential shamans in training, that the shamanic archetype is the major archetype that's activated in the collective unconscious of our species. And it's funny because there's a huge chapter in that new book on shamanism that, that I wrote. Literally, I finished it like a few, a few weeks before the lockdown. Right. And little did I realize that I was being prescient because I point out, oh, humanity is making a collective descent into the underworld of the unconscious. And then lo and behold, <laughs> next thing I know, we're locked down and we've gone collectively mad and our freedoms are being taken away. And there are all these mandates and passports. And it's, it was just wild. But, you know, that and then the shamanic archetype, I mean, that also that's co- that's correlated, like you were saying, with with the healer who's wounded with the wounded healer. And the idea is and I totally relate to that because I'm very in touch with my wound 24-7. Mm-hmm. And for years, I was just committed to getting rid of that fu- that wound. And then at a certain point, I began to realize, what if it never goes away? And that's the archetype of the wounded healer. They have an incurable wound, but there's a way of carrying it where it becomes a portal to connect you with your deeper creative powers. and And also then there's not just the wounded healer, there's the healed healer. And it's like a paradox because on the one hand, I'm an embodiment of the wounded healer. But on the other hand, there's like the healed healer part of me, which is like, no, I'm in touch with my nature. That's always pure and that's always healed. And that's available right now. And at the same time, there's this wounding. But the danger is if I identify fully with the, oh, I'm wounded, being like a dream, I'm going to attract all the evidence confirming that identity. And then I'm colluding with my own victimization.
3: Yeah, makes sense. Uh, Vance, any questions from the audience or you?
4: Yes, we do um, have some questions. Um, Domi wanted to uh, ask, if uh, Paul, you believe that Watiko is integrated to the er- egoic vehicle, you know, part of the inside, or is it uh, an external uh, thing? And if it's external, does it have its own free will?
1: Yeah. Well, okay. Let me just—that's a great question. Like, so for example, a way I'll enter into that question is trying to explain or describe, like, the genesis of Watiko in a personal scale. So say I'm whole, right? So I'm not traumatized. And then we all experience trauma. When I get traumatized, a part of my wholeness splits off. You know, by definition, it's trauma is overwhelming. I can't integrate it. I can't mm-hmm. symbolize it in the normal way. So I disassociate. I split. And, and that right away, me doing that consolates deep down the shamanic archetype because the shaman is somebody who they go in search of that that part of their soul that's gotten this, you know, disassociated. And so, but in that splitting, in that disassociate, you know, I'm disassociating from that trauma, if I don't integrate that, that then in a way develops a seeming autonomy and independence of its own. So that split-off part, I then experience it subjectively as if it's some sort of other you know that has its own life and will independent of my own ego oftentimes it's adversarial now in psychology speak that's what's called an autonomous complex indigenous people call that a demon okay so you could say that's watiko so the point is we experience it subjectively as if it's some sort of entity as if it's some sort of other right and yet ultimately speaking from the 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 reality level the absolute level It's actually our own energy that just needs to be recognized and integrated, keeping in mind, but we subjectively experience it as if it's an entity. That's why whenever in my work I talk about the entity of Watiko, I call it the seeming entity of Watiko. Because Watiko, it doesn't even exist. There's no such thing at all. There has no independent, intrinsic existence from its own side whatsoever, separate from our consciousness. And yet, even though it doesn't exist, it can kill us. You see, that's the paradox. And um, so when people hear about this mind virus, if they get all afraid, no, 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 that's superfood for Watiko. When we get into fear that feeds Watiko, um, you know, the idea is is um yeah, to not get into fear, but to actually like, you know, it's a way of really understanding the nature of our experience. Cause I think so many of us Oh, we have such great potential, but we're not actualizing our potential. Well, how come that is? You know, and because keep in mind that what Tico feeds into our creativity and it turns it against us, which is not answering the question, but the point is that it's getting creative, it's tapping into our creative genius, which we all interface with, which we all are actually these creative geniuses. That's really the solution for this psychic epidemic that we're facing.
0: BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C.
4: Yeah, I can see that. That kind of leads to something I was wondering, which is what about people who are our leaders and have some power in the society, deliberately fostering these ideas, injecting the viruses, creating them in their laboratories, so to speak, and injecting them into the population, and then from there, uh, what you just said happens: like uh, people's imaginations catch it up, it propagates through, you know, uh, our collective nature, because we're, you know, naturally. Um, forethinking. We're always looking ahead to the future to, you know, try to survive and so forth and looking out for things that might hurt us so we can avoid them. And then, so if, if we're being fed threats, uh, which aren't even real, maybe, or maybe they're making them real. What, what about that scenario?
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, I want to point out, you bring up a good point. I mean, so many people are unwitting instruments for what you you know, but other people are, they're not unwitting, they're consciously creating stuff, you know, because who knows why, but, you know, I would imagine to, you know, to feed their own, you know, fantasies of power and control. And so there are people who are, you know, generating, you know, purposefully, you know, this evil so as to, you know, fragment people and take away their power and, and increase their own power. And um, you know what you bring up, it, it makes me think of like the the evil that's playing out in our world, and um, it's a perfect way. Like I'll just, for example, it'll I'll just catapult into like I had mentioned earlier in this interview um, in the collective works, young was pointing at Watiko, and he had a number of different names. He called it totalitarian psychosis. That was the name he used the most. Now, think about what Watiko is. is an inner disease of the soul that actually reveals itself and plays itself out via the medium of the outside world. So when Watiko gets into an individual person's psyche, what does it do? It colonizes the psyche. It hijacks Mm -hmm. the executive function. It creates a shadow government. It dictates to the ego all the healthy parts of the psyche get subsumed and begin to be in service to the pathogen, to the Watico mind virus. Okay, what I'm describing, that's an inner condition of a psyche under the thrall of Watico. Think about what's playing out in the world with all the fascism and totalitarian forces that are taking over our planet. That's actually reflecting the dynamic in an individual psyche, when this mind virus starts to take over the psyche, and then the person so taken over, the the, the regulatory, you know, uh, sort of agencies, the self-monitoring system of the psyche, get captured. Just like the regulatory agencies in our government have gotten captured by the very invaders they're supposed to be monitoring. It's all you see. The outer and the inner are reflecting each other, and when you begin to see that, that's to begin to see the dreamlike nature. Because in a dream, you you recognize, oh, yeah, when I'm in a dream, the outer dreamscape is reflecting what's happening inside of my psyche. The outer is the inner. This is so many mystical traditions talk about this. And so that actually helps you to recognize the Watiko mind virus when you see the correlation with the inner and the outer. It helps you recognize the dreamlike nature. And when you recognize the dreamlike nature, that's to see through the imagination that we exist as a separate self which we don't exist as a separate self. That's the illusion that in a sense is Watiko. And when you see through that illusion, you recognize we're interdependent and we're interconnected. And, and then all of a sudden you've expanded your awareness and your identity and the real, and that energetically gets expressed with compassion and love. And that's the kryptonite to Watiko. So you see all of this is interrelated and young was super switched on to that, you know,
3: Yes, he was indeed. Uh, any other questions, Vince?
4: Yeah, we got one more. Corey T uh, wanted to know um, if uh, you've collaborated with any Native American tribes or elders on concrete steps to alleviate with tico effects of paralyzing quantities of humanity.
1: Yeah. So I'm, you know, I'm very open to that. And there was one Native American. He, he came all the way from the East Coast. He drove to meet me. Because he had read my work on Watiko, I think he had read the spelling Watiko, the first of the three books, and he so wanted, you know, from his point of view, when he was a medicine man, um, he wanted to just meet me in person, you know, not just having read my work. And then he literally drove out, you know, the three thousand miles, and we got, we had guy, invited him over, we had a cup of tea, and then you know he just wrote me a beautiful endorsement, I, I think, for the second Watiko book. And, um, you know, and I think he recognized in me that I was just somebody who went through an unbelievable trauma, a direct encounter with evil. And instead of it just destroying me or closing my heart or hurting my awareness, that I was able to come through that with some sort of a gift, you know, with an articulation of what I had experienced. And, um, and I'm really open to more, because um, I'm trying, I'm not trying to appropriate the Native American terminology, but I'm really trying to honor it. And as a Western modern person, I'm more like trying to translate this incredible wisdom of this indigenous wisdom into a psychological idiom that can really speak, um, you know, to modern Western people. Because what I'm pointing at and what the the Native Americans were pointing at, and every spiritual tradition is pointing at Watiko in their own way, I mean, you know, in the Castaneda books, you know, Don Juan, Carlos's teacher, calls it, this is the topic of topics. There's nothing more important than this. If we don't recognize that there's something within each of our human psyches, you know, that is actually, you know, causing us to destruct, to self-destruct, if we don't recognize that, you know, then we're doomed. And then nothing else will matter. That's what I mean. That's what Don Juan in the Castaneda books means when he says this, he doesn't have the name Watiko. He's talking about, he calls it the predator. This is the topic of topics for shamans.
3: Yeah, that's for sure. I would certainly agree. And I think an important uh, thing uh, that gets looked over today or that we suffer for And you talk about in your book is that of cancel culture and being triggered. And you related to the Tibetan issue called, shempa and that of having a lion gaze right? could you share so the audience yeah 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 tools for sure. not to get totally. drawn in on the internet
1: yeah 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 no totally so on the one hand when watiko is in the room so to speak all of a sudden it's not safe to speak so it, it cuts your vocal cords oh if you speak what's true if you actually shine light on the darkness if you express your experience and it's not along the agreed upon consensus reality, like, you know, narrative, you get canceled, you get, mm-hmm. you know, deplatformed, demonetized. And, and then what happens, that outer process, when that's the world you live in, it becomes internalized inside of your mind, and it gets rendered unconscious, to the point where you then become your own control system, and mm-hmm. you shut down your own voice without even knowing you're doing it. And then you become, you know, the greatest poison in the human psyche is unexpressed creativity. So then that just poisons your system, you know. So on the one hand, there is that. On the other hand, there's the getting triggered. And, you know, with a lot of like the whole woke thing where, oh, we can't have anybody triggered or offended. And I would point out what's wrong with being triggered. Why, Why not, you know. Um, but the point is, there's nothing wrong with being triggered. That's not Watico. But where Watiko comes in is what do we do once we're triggered? What most people do, if somebody out there is triggering them, they see the problem is out there. Oh, if only you would stop doing that or saying that, then I wouldn't be triggered and then I'll be back to being okay. So like the, the source of the problem is out there. And in Tibetan, so they in Tibetan Buddhism they have that name, that word, shenpa for being triggered. But they also have this incredible teaching called having the gaze of the lion, the lion's gaze. And what that means, and I talk about this in my work, is like you know when I was describing the ordinary person being triggered, it's like when you have a stick and you throw it with a dog, the dog runs after the stick. Okay. That's like the ordinary person; they get triggered. And they run after the stick like the problem is who's, what's triggering them. And if only that would stop, they would feel better. But in Tibetan Buddhism, they say, no, 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 be like the lion. When you throw a stick with a lion, instead of like a dog running after the stick, the lion runs after you. Mm-hmm. Be like the lion. When you get triggered, immediately train yourself. That's an incredible opportunity to just self-reflect on what inside of you has been triggered. And all of a sudden you have an opportunity to shed light on a part of your unconscious. And and it's taking responsibility for your own experience. And because in that moment of being triggered, there is something that's unintegrated in you. That's like, you know, coming to the fore that's been hiding. And all of a sudden there it is. And, and what an incredible opportunity to bring that to awareness and so that's the idea of you know of having the gaze of the lion, and that um I talk about that. It's a major chapter in the book about about being in relationships, you know, just with intimate relationships, with friends, with the human family, because being in a relationship is pretty much the main vector, the main way that whatiko up you know operates and plays itself out. And we've all experienced this, you know, say you're friends with someone and everything's harmonic and Zen and chill and all great. And all of a sudden something will happen. Somebody will say something, there'll be a misunderstanding. And then you like, you know, it it opens up the door for hurt and separation and you could even get divorced or whatever. And it's as if behind the scenes is the Watiko bug, just feasting on the separation and just being an ecstatic bliss that it's, it's split up, you know, and it's interesting the word sort of, um, diabolic, which is related to Watiko, because it's very sort of devilish, etymologically diabolic means that which separates. And the antonym and the antidote for diabolic is symbolic and symbols of the language of dreams. And I keep on talking about that when we see the dreamlike nature of reality, that we're having a collective dream and that this dream is an oracle and it's speaking symbolically, That that's why both young and Christ, one of the things they were both, and I talk about this in the new book, they both were trying to bring in symbolic awareness, you know, seeing this as a dream and interpreting it as such. And when we develop symbolic awareness, once again, that's kryptonite to Watiko.
3: Yeah, you even write in your book, in the chapter on Rudolf Steiner, you say, or you quote Steiner saying, the symbol prepares the soul to receive the truth. From the spiritual world and of course you talk about both steiner and uh, jung are telling us we must be christ in other words we must go down into the underworld and release the souls from hades and be more christ-like and, in a symbolic way right
1: yeah well with steiner i have a, a chapter on 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 steiner's work and he he was so um you know i mean it blew my mind he was saying the greatest event of our time Is he, he called it the incarnation of the etheric Christ. Mm -hmm. So he was pointing out instead of Christ incarnating through one person, like, you know, like he did 2000 years ago, now, you know, the divine is incarnating through the human species, through the collective unconscious. But because it's, it's instead of 2000 years ago, the, the appointed vessel was kept pure and white and light and, and all the darkness was outside. You know and it's isn't it interesting that coincidentally right when christ appeared there was satan right at the same moment it was yeah. as if they were expressing the polarization that existed in the collective unconscious 2000 years ago where and i'm kind of intermingling steiner and 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 young but you know what Jung was saying was that yeah as god gets closer to humanity and that the vessel for the incarnation is now creaturely man to quote young who's tainted with original sin and with darkness, this involves a close encounter with evil. And what Steiner, so this creates context for the Watiko epidemic we're in the middle of. And what Steiner was saying is, yeah, the greatest event is the incarnation of the etheric Christ. But before we can actualize that, we have to encounter in his words, the beast and the beast is radical evil. And, and in a way that's the, cause after Christ got resurrected, after Christ got crucified, People typically hear about the resurrection, but they don't hear about the three days in between where Christ ascended into the underworld. And in a sense, that's the shamanic descent that we're all making into the realm of darkness. And um, the great danger is to get caught there and absorbed there and identified. But the idea is if we are actually open to that underworld and are able to still keep in touch with our nature, our nature as light, you know, our transcendental nature that's already awake, then that journey into the underworld becomes a portal into the resurrected body, into the rainbow body, into our true nature. It's all just metaphoric in a certain way of describing that we actually remember who we are. Because the point that you see, it's so wild because there's such a sense of pessimism and despair about what's happening, understandably, because things just right. are so dark and people feel so helpless. But the truth of the matter, and this is really inspiring, is that we already have the solution, each one of us. We are the solution. We have this incredible creative agency and power at our disposal, but we're using it unconsciously in a way that's creating a cocoon around us and is suffocating us. And what I'm trying to bring forth is that, no, we already have what we need. We're these creative geniuses, but we don't realize it. And it's helpful when you hang out with other people who are tuning into that and who are embodying that, that becomes contagious. That can go viral, that realization. And that's what my whole work is about, because then you discover, oh, yeah, we can hang out with other people in a way where we can literally dream ourselves awake. We can activate our collective genius in a way that we don't have access to as an isolated individual person, and we can actually get in sync with each other. And we can literally dream a different dream. I'm talking about the waking dream. And this is to consciously participate in our own evolution. This isn't some new age woo -woo theory. Quantum physics completely backs this up. And I can talk about that in a bit. And this is the good news. And this is what's available to us. And this is what my whole work is trying to bring across. And it can create incredible inspiration for people to really, you know, to tune into this.
3: Beautifully said, yeah. Backing up a little reminds me of what Jung also once said. He obviously talked a lot about evil, but he did say once, uh Evil, hap- Evil is not allowing people to tell their stories. And I always tell people, you have a story. You have something within you, a myth, a purpose. So, but yeah, this society is very hard to tell our stories because they want us to conform to a grand narrative or they just don't want us to uh, upset the apple cart. So I think Jung was Right, there. and
1: it's interesting. The shaman, one way of describing the shaman, they're the archetypal storyteller which is that's the dreaming. They're the dreamers. We're all the dreamers. And another way of describing the shaman is that they're the creative artists. And so if there's an energy in the field that's oppressing us telling our story, I mean, to think about me, how I came to my work. You know, I was just an ordinary kid, you know, mainstream studying math and economics in college. And then I got switched on to that I was a creative artist. And without going into the story, you know, my father did everything he could to obliterate that impulse because he had a vision of me of being, you know, the doctor or lawyer. Mm -hmm. And here I was really like, no, you know, I'm being called to be the creative artist. And the point I want to bring out, though, is that, yeah, if it's the crew, if it's the true creative impulse, it can't be kept down for long. So at first, it really was a big problem for me, you know, having my creative expression so oppressed. But then I found another way, you know, it wasn't going to be kept down for long because it was, it was so related to my soul's purpose for being here.
3: No, makes sense. Makes sense. Well, why don't tell us about uh, quantum physics, something you do spend a lot of time in. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Sure. How so, does it relate to Huatico?
1: Yeah, yeah. Oh, quantum physics is offering us the medicine for Watiko. So, you know, before quantum physics came on the scene, you know, a little bit over 100 years ago, the, you know, the classical Newtonian physicists thought, conceived of this world, As existing objectively and they were just passively trying to study and understand the world and then quantum physics emerged into our world and into the human psyche and like this real simple way of describing it is that quantum physics proved that the act of observing this universe actually influenced the universe observed now of course that's a description of a dream that you know when we're perceiving whatever dream we're having our act of perceiving the dream is influencing the dream because they're not two separate things. So quantum physics was actually discovering the dreamlike nature of, of the universe, though the typical quantum physicists, they're not trained for that. So they're still, it's still controversial. You know, I mean, it's, 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 you know, there's no debate at all that it's the greatest discovery ever in the history of this planet in the realm of science. Nobody will argue that. But where all the controversy is, is what does it mean, the discoveries of quantum physics? And I'm pointing out, yeah, it means that, you know, it's discovering the dreamlike nature. In other words, to say it even simpler, that the o- the act of observation is creative, okay? And that each moment, by the way we interpret our experience and the meaning we place on our experience is actually creating our experience. There's no mm-hmm. one else doing that. We're doing that. We are creating our experience each and every moment. So to take it to the next step, um, what see, see, here's, I'll just connect a couple dots. And this is a real essentialization of my book okay. on quantum physics. That if we think the universe exists objectively, we are at the same moment dreaming ourselves up to be a subject who's in relationship to that object. Because as a subject, we, we need an object to be in relationship to in order to be a subject. Okay. But once quantum physics comes along and says, Hey, there is no such thing as an objective anything, then all of a sudden, What happened to the subject? All of a sudden, that becomes really a major question. That's where quantum physics has promoted itself to be a spiritual path because it's actually pointing at who are we. But the idea is, is that that experience of being a subject, a subjective reference point existing in spaces, in space and time, i.e. an ego and an objective world reciprocally co-arise and reinforce each other. That's the illusion. It's an illusion generating an illusion. And if we don't see the initial illusion, then we get caught and we get into a whole hall of mirrors of other illusions. Um, but to take it the next step, what quantum physics is saying in essence is that they'll talk about these elementary quantum particles that exist in a state of potentiality of any and every way they could potentially manifest. They manifest in a state of potential up until the moment of observation. Then along comes an observer And it observes that quantum entity. And then one of those possibilities actualizes into form. And all the others just disappear into the void as if they never existed, as if they've all gone into a parallel world, different parallel worlds. But the point is, is that even if that one potentiality that's actualized or that could potentially actualize even if it's, to quote a quantum physicist, ridiculously, highly unlikely, it could still be the very universe that manifests this in this very moment. The point being to bring it down to mundane reality, the idea, the possibility of humanity actually um, awakening in this moment, quantum physics is saying if that's, that's possible and that could be this very next moment. And so that gives us incredible hope. The point is so many people get caught, caught by pessimism and think, oh no, you know, uh, we're, we're doomed. And by holding that pessimistic, despairing, depressed point of view, they're unwittingly making that more likely and they're actually part of the problem. But when you see, wait a second, it's within the realm of possibility. It's like we've had a recurring dream again and again, and we've been to this exact moment a million times before, and we've always blown ourselves up. Well, maybe this is the, the recurring dream where we actually as a species awaken and avert that catastrophe and actually dream ourselves awake. Quantum physics says that's actually possible. And if you're not like envisioning that, then what in the world are you thinking? <laughs>
3: Exactly, yeah, you got to have a, have the right attitude. Well, as we are getting towards the end of the interview, it's a memorial weekend and we all got stuff to do. I think there's one last day, uh, uh, chat or question there, Vance.
4: Yep, um, how should we understand fate in this world? Should we try to break the matrix?
1: Yeah, well, I think about um, so fate, it's interesting, fate is related. To there's um, a phrase, um, daimon, and daimon, the daimon is the guiding spirit or the inner voice, and it's related to our fate. And, um, you know, and the daimon is related to our genius, to our muse, to our calling, hearing a voice, to our vocation. The idea is when we connect with our daimon, we find what we're here to do and we find our voice. And we find ourselves, we find our mission, um, you know, and encoded in that diamond is the creative spirit. But if we don't connect with that diamond, it becomes a demon, okay? And the idea is, is this, that I think about quantum physics, quantum physics, you see, before quantum physics, the physicists were thinking, oh, we, if we knew enough of the variables, we could figure out this is a mechanistic, deterministic universe. Right and we can figure out what's going to happen. But quantum physics comes along and says, no, this is not a deterministic universe. There's no fate that's written in stone. That's an, an expired idea. This is a probabilistic universe. That, this, that, you know, what's going to happen? They say the best way to predict the future is to create it. Okay? So being that our universe, like, for example, are we going to kill ourselves, you know because of the Watico mind virus and just destroy the biosphere and in that collective suicide and destroy our species, or are we going to actually evolve and wake up? The choice is ours; it's actually in our hands, okay, and it depends how we're going to dream it. We're having a collective dream. How are we going to dream it? It's not written in stone that's really, really important, and that creates or that puts an enormous responsibility on each one of us okay so um that would be the way i would answer that question
4: okay you know sometimes though isn't it um like say you're in a train with an irresponsible engineer who's driving the train too fast on the tracks and you know i wake up and say you know what this train's going too fast on the tracks and maybe I can try to get a hold of the conductor who is actually in charge of the train and tell him that. But he says, nope, I don't know. So, uh, you know, he doesn't listen to me. Um, what do we do in those situations? I mean, I could jump off the train, but it's going too fast. I could try to arouse the other passengers, but they're all sleeping, you know, and um, I'm playing the yeah. devil's advocate,
3: so, so to speak here. Yeah, yeah, so yeah, what? no, totally. Plato's train <laughs> instead of Plato's cave. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Exactly. Right.
1: No, I talk about that. I, I say, imagine we're in a car and the driver is drunk and asleep and <laughs> blind and going over a cliff and what do you do, you know, what do you do? And, And it's so interesting because it makes me think, uh, you know, with like the whole thing with um, the British are coming like Paul Revere, like I feel and I think a lot of us can relate to this. You know, I really try my best to track the horror and the evil and the insanity that's playing out. And there's an aspect of it that's really dangerous and really scary. And it's interesting like um trying, you know, like Paul Revere, hey, the British are coming. Mm-hmm. Some people have said to me, Oh, you're just creating fear by, you know, because fear is the superfood of the mind virus. But when there's fear by the mainstream media, it it all of a sudden we become paralyzed and immobilized. And, you know, oh, we don't, we feel helpless. Oh, so let's just make the best of it. And then we're we're colluding with the evil. But like with Paul Revere going, the British are coming. If people get afraid, it mobilizes them into action. And that's like a positive thing. So and the idea of, oh, yeah, how do you wake people up? I mean, I think of young. He says, yeah, to preach the light to people whose eyes are blind makes no sense. You know, it's a much better strategy to teach people the art of seeing. And, of course, how do you do that? That's a whole other question. You know, and I imagine so many of us can relate to, you see people who are asleep and you try to wake them up and it has the opposite effect. They just think you're a nuts or, oh, you're a conspiracy theory and now there's a separation and it's ruined their friendship or whatever. So, you know, that's a real question. Like, how do you actually intervene in the dream, in a sense, and wake people up, particularly if we're in a train and the driver of the train is like driving us right over this cliff. Like, what do we do? And and keep in mind, you know, yeah, there are people with their hands on the levers of power, you know, who don't have our best interests at hearts and who are psychopathic, you know? And I don't think there's any argument about that, but not to forget that we have this incredible agency. That's what I'm trying to embody. We have this incredible creative power and it's contagious and it can go viral like I've been suggesting And, um, you know, so I'm just, you know, trying to dream into that and actually actualize that scenario.
3: Well said. Awesome. Well, I know we just got another one, but we're going to have to wrap it up because I know Paul has to go. Uh, Esoteric fairy tales. We'll get to your question next time. Uh, Just advice for people struggling to release their creative voice. I'd say know yourself, Paul. Um, yeah. Yeah. Let
1: me just well, I can I can answer that if you sure. guys have a okay. minute, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, because it's such a I can't say enough about the profundity of um, and the importance of stepping into our creative voice. And, you know, I'm in private practice and everybody I work with pretty much. I almost like a heat seeking missile. I always get down to what's stopping you from being creative. And we all have a story of like, oh, well, I'm not good enough or I got criticized when I was younger or oh, I might get rejected. I might get ridiculed. It won't be perfect. and But we're investing that story with reality, you know. And, um, you know, so what I try to bring people to is what in the present moment, what is that experience like? You feel like you want to create something. You want to give voice to something, to your creative expression, and then, what is your experience like in that moment and really slowing that down? And, and you see, it's not a problem at all if there's this incredible negative voice and it's adversarial and, oh, you're not good enough and, oh, it's painful. You shouldn't do that or whatever. That's not problematic in the slightest. The problem is, what do you do? Do you invest it with reality, with power over you? That's your, you're then colluding, you're complicit with shutting down your own voice, you see. And so that's where I would really unlock that. And um, and then there is so many ways and times during each and every day where we are, even in the most subtle way, expressing our creativity, maybe the way we're washing our our dishes or the way we're walking or whatever. And you know it's just a sense of becoming familiar you see okay i'll just i'll just wrap this up by like we hear about our our true nature oh because it is the best protection against watiko against the mind virus against evil is to be connected with your nature what is your nature what does that mean it's such a cliche well our nature our true nature by its nature is creative and so when you connect and remember and recognize And embody your true nature you express yourself and embody being creative and the more you express yourself and embody being creative the deepen you realize your nature it's a positive feedback loop in which you're actually like tapping into the zero point of creation you're tapping into the creative source of everything and you're literally creating light upon light and um So maybe that might be just a a nice offering as far as a way of answering that last question.
3: No, good answer. Very inspirational. Awesome. Well, we're at the end. uh, uh, I certainly highly advise you definitely get uh, Undreaming with Tico so much more in this book that will be very helpful and insightful to see this mind virus and uh, people want to get uh, to know more about you. What's your website for those listening on audio?
1: Yeah. If people want to awaken in the dream, they should just go to awakeninthedream.com. And that's my website is, you know, it's not monetized hardly at all. Cause I, this is information I want to get out. So, you know, there's a ton of articles, ton of interviews and videos and stuff. All for free. I'm just wanting, you know, people to read this stuff because it's it's medicine. It really helps people. And then, you know, you can buy an autograph book or set up a session. That's that's different. But um, yeah, that would be the way that people um, you know, could connect with my work. Yeah.
3: Awesome. Well, it's in the show notes for YouTube. It'll be in the show notes when we release the audio version in a day or two. And I'll definitely check it out. And yeah, for those of you in the chat room, thank you very much for your questions and your support and uh, a little bit of drama from what I see. And Vance, thanks for keeping us company and keeping uh, the witiko out of the chat room.
4: (laughs) Yeah, it's not always easy, but no, we care about everybody in the chat room.
3: Yeah, yeah. Don't want to
4: exclude everybody, but we got to keep the chat room um, on topic.
3: There you go. Well, Paul, thank you very much for once again coming on AM bite and uh, good luck with the book. And thanks for uh, taking all this time to give us this great gnosis.
1: Yeah, I so appreciate it. Really just can't thank you enough, guys. Thank you so much.
3: All right, everybody have a good week and have a good day. And as I say, uh, write your own gospel, live your own myth until the next one. Take care, everybody. Bye, everybody. And there you have it. Yes. Shining crazy diamonds. Paul's crucial gnosis if humanity is to survive in this century. For more useful information, how about a bonus for all subs? I'm going to include my last interview with Paul, where we focus more on the origins of Wittico and its more Gnostic and Native American aspects. Don't miss it. For non-subs, please become a supporter for this mini-course on Wetiko. And if you find value in this content, your support is the only thing that keeps AM by going. I can't do it without you. Regardless, thanks for being here. Thanks for being yourself, your true self, here in the desert of the real. For all subs, let us have more Paul Levy with our bonus.